Good morning. Welcome to First Church this morning. We want to welcome everyone that's listening on T102 as well as those that are on Facebook Live. Such a beautiful morning here in Ohio. We would ask everyone here in the sanctuary, if you would, please stand and join me in the call to worship. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim and let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity in Jacob. You have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God. And worship your hand and footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them through the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished them their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Now let us continue to stand and sing our worship song, Ten Thousand Reasons.
seated. And at this time, I want to invite forward the Metzger family and the Zambrogo family. nice to see the platform crowded up here for an occasion like this. This is really exciting. Uh, today we have a chance to witness baptisms and dedications this morning. So for dedication, we have Hudson Metzger and Jordan Zimbrogel, and we also have McKenna and Jaden Metzger choosing to be baptized this morning. So I want to encourage you to hear these words first from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, all, have, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's in obedience to this command the church baptizes those who profess faith in Christ. But the Bible also commands parents to teach their children to know, love, and serve the Lord. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. These parents are here today to dedicate their children to the Lord and teach them to be his disciples. And so in response to that, I want to encourage, I'm going to invite you to, to respond to these questions of faith. For the parents of those who are dedicating children, you're answering on behalf of them because they're too young to, to truly maybe understand or comprehend uh, the commitment that they're making here today. And for those that are being baptized, I invite you to respond as well. Do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciples, trusting his promises, obeying his word, honoring his church, and showing his love as long as you live? And will you devote yourself to the church's teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers? Praise God. And church, I invite you to join with us as we continue to, to make this statement of faith together by reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so to the parents of those who are dedicating children this morning, do you desire to dedicate your children to the Lord and promise to raise them to know, love, and serve Him? Praise God. And to those being baptized today, do you desire to be baptized into this faith? Praise God. In congregation, having heard their desire to live a new life in Christ or their desire to raise their children to know Christ, do you promise to love, support, and care for them as they seek to be Christ's faithful disciples? We promise to love, support, and care for you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, for the gift of eternal life. And we thank you for these families and for the children being dedicated and for the individuals who are proclaiming their faith in you through baptism today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift to be accepted into your family. And I pray that you would bless and sustain these individuals. Draw them to yourself. May they grow to know, grow to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we also pray for these parents that you would equip them to fulfill the promises they make today. Bless and sustain them as they teach their children to know and love you. All this we pray in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So since we've got a couple things going on here today, we're going to start with the dedications. And so we're going to start with both sets of parents asking you about the commitment that you're making here today. 
Again, this, uh, this vow, this commitment is really at the core of, the, of what you guys as parents are here for today, to, to promise your children, to promise the Lord uh, that you're going to raise them to know and love and serve him. And so I ask you these questions in light of that. Do you promise to instruct them by word and example with the help of the Christian community in the truth of God's word and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for them and teach them to pray? And do you promise to nurture them within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? Praise God. All right. Um, Hudson, I'm going to start with you, buddy, all right? So I'm not going to... now. I'm not going to pick you up like I do with the younger kids, but that's okay. But why don't you come forward here, buddy? I'm going to just kneel right next to you. Your parents are going to be here too. Everybody always gets shy, right? I'm just going to put my hand on your shoulder, all right? It's all right. Hudson, I dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. And Jordan, you look pretty happy earlier. Let's see how you do this time. I feel like you're Simba here for a second. Let me hold you up like that. Jordan, I dedicate you to the name to the. I dedicate you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna pass it back to you guys. All right. Let's have a moment of prayer for these children and these families here now. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the free gift of salvation that's made available through his death and resurrection. We pray now for both Hudson and Jordan. We ask that you bless and strengthen them daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to them the riches of your love and deepen their faith. Keep them from the power of evil and enable them to live holy and blameless lives until your kingdom comes. May they grow to know, love, and serve you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also ask that you look with kindness upon Zach and Lindsay and on Dustin and Christina. Let them always rejoice in the gifts you've given them. Grant them the presence of your Holy Spirit that they may bring up Jackson, excuse me, bring up Jordan and uh, Hudson to know, love, and serve you and their neighbor. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So I've... In preparation for you guys for baptism, we had a chance to sit down and talk about what this all means and what this represents. And I asked you guys to prepare a little something. So I'm going to sneak behind you and grab a mic here. And I've asked you to both write a little something about why you're choosing to be baptized today. So McKenna, can I ask you to go first? Sure. All right. because um, I love God so much and because he created us. I love to learn about Jesus because he died on the cross for our sins. Great job, McKenna. So McKenna, I'm going to invite you to come over here. invite you to kneel there. And McKenna, having heard your profession of faith and desire to be baptized into that faith, it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. And Jaden, I invite you to share what you wrote as well baptized because I want to be forgiven for my sins. Also because I want to accept God in my life because I love learning about him and want to continue learning about him. He made us so I want to follow him and read the Bible more and make him first. Awesome. So again, I invite you to kneel here as well. Jaden, having heard your profession of faith and your desire to live a new life in Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you. All right, well, let's pray together again. 
Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the free gift of salvation that's made available through his death and resurrection. And we thank you for the symbol of baptism, which reminds us that you wash away our sins and give us new life as we put our trust in you. We pray for McKenna and Jaden. Bless and strengthen them daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to them the riches of your love. Deepen their faith and keep them from the power of evil and enable them to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom come. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Congratulations to the Bull family. We're so excited to be a part of this today. And we invite you guys after the service. To, uh, there's uh, roses on the altar that you guys can take home to remember this day. Thank you guys for being here this morning. You guys can go have a seat while the praise team comes forward uh, for our next song. Um, this is an opportunity for us to celebrate and rejoice in what we just witnessed here today. And so uh, I invite you to stand with us as we sing our next praise song, House of the Lord. actually chosen by the families that we can sing and rejoice with their decision that they've made. There is joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet.
Father God, we're going to shout out your praises, Lord. Just as the testimonies that were just read, Lord God, of your goodness and your glory. Father, may we never be ashamed to shout out your praise. You are the God that heals. You are the God that saves. You are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We praise and worship you, Lord God, for these children, for these parents, for these families, Lord. As they have dedicated their lives to you, may we rededicate our lives to you and make you front and center. May we walk in that relationship, Lord God, where you are our head. You are our Father. You are our Papa God. You love us so much. Father, we thank you for this time, for this testimony. Blessings upon them, Lord God. For all those that have come, Lord, with heavy burdens, you know their situations. You are the God that says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you that you are the God of peace. You are the God of peace in every circumstances of our lives. Glory to you, Lord God. Where else can we go? You are the one that loves us. Thank you for continuing to draw your family together. And we ask this all in Jesus' mighty name. And we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, Children, you can come forward for children's chat. Good job, dude. Good job, sweetheart. All right. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. You're learning time in school? Huh. Well, there we go. Well, we can practice then. Okay. So, what do I have with me today? A clock. What do we do with a clock? Tell time. Tell time. Is this an easy kind of a clock to tell time on? (laughs) Yes. No. Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's easy to tell time on this kind of face clock. Sometimes it's kind of difficult because a lot of times anymore, we just see the numbers and, and we don't really, if somebody, now I'm going to tell on my older, my old, older kids, I would say, I'll pick you up at quarter after nine. Mom, what's quarter after nine? I mean, this was, they were teenagers. So, you know, quarter after nine is the same thing as 9.15, okay? But when we look at a clock, this big hand here, that points to the hour. And this, nope, wrong. The big hand points to the minute. The little hand points to the hour. So, hmm, let me see. What time would this be? Five o'clock. What do a lot of people do at five o'clock? Eat dinner. Yep, that's an important time, isn't it? Yeah, 5 o'clock p.m., not a.m. You're right. Okay, what if I did, what if I did, uh, what do I, what if I did this time? Nine, five, ten, fifteen. Nine, fifteen. What are you doing at nine, fifteen? Probably going to bed. Yep, if it's 9.15 p.m., you're either going to bed or in bed. What about 9.15 a.m.? That's school math. Yeah. All right. So, so in part of our scripture that we're going to listen to today, it talks, it says, No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. 
That was Jesus talking to his apostles and telling them, you know, my time is coming near, but I am going to come again. So are, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come again? Yeah? Well, how do we know? How do we know? What time is he going to come? We don't know. We don't know. Well, how are we going to be ready? Because, because when, when you're getting ready for school, you know what time you have to be ready, right? To get on the bus or to get in the car to go to school or to walk, whatever you do. You know what time that is, okay? Well, Jesus is coming back at a certain time, but we don't know when. So how are we supposed to be ready? By reading the Bible, believing in him, praying, praying, praying. Okay, yeah, all of those things. We have to be ready for Jesus to come because he is coming again someday. We just don't know when. He's coming again someday. And so we have to be ready. So we need to make sure that we are listening, that we are saying our prayers that we are putting God first in our lives, okay? Because when Jesus comes, it's going to be a huge celebration. And when he comes, those who have the Holy Spirit and Jesus living in their hearts, they're going to get to go spend eternity with him up in heaven. And that's going to be a wonderful place. So, do we know what time that is? No, we don't. But are we going to be ready? Yes. yes, we're going to be ready. We are going to be ready. All right, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to come to earth, to live with us, to die and to rise again, so that one day we can go and be in heaven with all of you. We don't know the time, but we know it's coming. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Okay, have a great week, guys. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Thank you, Maria, for a wonderful children's chat this morning. Our offering this morning goes to the ministry Her Story and Xenia. This is a uh, new ministry for our designated offering list this year. It's a ministry that works with women trying to who are attempting to move from active addiction into active recovery. And so they provide resources uh, for those women in that area of need. And so your gifts this morning will go to support their ministry, and we're really grateful that we have an opportunity to support them. I also want to just take this moment real briefly and just uh, remind you of what's been in our bulletin this past couple Sundays. Uh, this is a new Lenten devotional. You know, in years past, we have done this um, and made free devotionals available during Lenten, the Lenten season. Um, so I want to encourage you to pick one up today. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. We're already asking you to do the Bible in a year plan. And if that's enough for you, that is totally fine. And we understand that completely. But we did want to still make a resource like this available for us as we travel through Lent together towards Easter. So um, there are copies available at the entrances, at the info center, in the office next door. Feel free to pick up a copy for yourself. And I especially want to encourage you this year to pick up copies and, and give them away to friends and family and neighbors. Um, it's a great way to just encourage people and help them understand uh, the significance of the Easter season and Jesus' death and resurrection. So I um, encourage you to pick one up for yourself, but also grab copies to give away. It can be a great way to share Jesus with your friends and family. I invite the deacons to come forward to collect their offering at this time.
Well, we couldn't ask for a more beautiful day today, and we couldn't uh, couldn't be more thankful to be here with all you guys. And I love this church, and I'm so glad that everybody's so just so awesome. <laughs> so, I'll read Matthew 24:45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Thanks, Zach. Let's pray together again. Uh, witness and celebrate uh, dedications and baptisms to worship you together uh, with one voice, lifting them, lifting it up in song and prayer. And now for the opportunity we have to read and study your word. I pray that as we do that this morning, that you would be glorified in, in what we do and say. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open the hearts and minds of those who are listening today, both in the sanctuary, as well as those that are gathered online and uh, through the radio. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we are jumping back into the New Testament uh, as we continue our trip through the Bible in a year. Um, I know I've been, I've been having conversations with many of you, uh, a lot of questions and interesting things that you guys have been learning uh, as you've been reading through. If you're keeping up with the Bible reading plan, you should be in the beginning of Leviticus right now, I think, in the Old Testament, and we're getting close to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to be looking here in Matthew 24, this passage that Zach just read for us here today, and it deals with the topic of Christ's return in the end times. When I was younger, uh, when I was a kid, the Left Behind book series was very popular, and it was all over the place, and it became a, a best-selling hit, and people were fascinated with it. Obviously, it was a fictionalized account of what could happen right, when, the re- when Christ returns, taking passages from Scripture and extrapolating, extrapolating them out of what it could be like when that time comes. 
But I, I think one of the reasons that Left Behind was so popular was because we as a people tend to be fascinated with the future. We want to know what's going to happen. We want to know what it's going to be like, whether that's what it's going to be like when Christ returns or what it's going to be like when our kids grow up and the kind of things that they're going to do or what our own future may hold in terms of work or retirement. We just want to know, right? We want to know what's happening. We want a, a certain level or a certain degree of certainty so that because we feel like that's going to bring us comfort as we move forward into the future. But the reality is, 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 and as Maria highlighted for us in our children's chat here today, that Jesus, as he speaks on the end times, he does share some things that are going to happen in, in sometimes vague terms, sometimes specific terms. Uh, but the one thing he's very clear about is that in, in, in any passage in scripture that deals with the end times, the one thing that it is overwhelmingly clear about is that we don't know all the details, right? We can't know for certain every single thing that's going to happen in the future, but we do know that Jesus will return. And so that is what uh, Matthew 24, this parable at the end of Matthew 24 is reminding us of, that Jesus is going to return and we want to be found faithful when he does. In fact, the whole chapter, I could have had Zach read the whole chapter for you, but uh, the whole chapter from verse 1 through the end where the parable is located has to deal with this idea of the end times and what it is going to be like. And so there's a few things that we can learn from these passages. I encourage you, I'm going to reference a few verses from before the parable as we, as we study it. So I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open. Or if you don't have a Bible with you, you can always grab one of the pew Bibles or follow along on your phone. But the first thing we need to understand when we think about the future and Christ's return is that we are living in the end times. And I don't mean that as in we entered the end times sometime in the past 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. What I mean is that we've been living in the end times since the day that Jesus returned to heaven at the, beginning, at the end of the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts. I believe that because Jesus' return could happen at any moment, that we've been living in the end times since the cross and since the resurrection and since the ascension. Because Jesus' return is imminent, we, in a sense, have been living in the end times for the last 2,000 years. The end times began with the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, and because he can return at any moment. This parable that Jesus tells reminds us that the master is away, but he doesn't abandon us either. At the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see Jesus ascending to heaven, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. But before that happens, Jesus teaches his disciples that even though he's going to go away, he is not abandoning them. If you, again, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to, to hop over with me to Matthew, or excuse me, John chapter 14, I will give you an example of what I'm talking about here. In John's Gospel, you see... Uh, these, these chapters, 14, 15, 16, 17, they're all Jesus uh, teaching his disciples. It's actually all taking place on the night that Jesus was betrayed. They had just shared the Last Supper in, in John 13. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And then for several chapters, Jesus teaches them about what is going to take place, preparing them. And in the beginning of John 14, he tells them he's about to go away and prepare a place for them. And then in John 14, verses 16 through 18, he says this, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You see, the Master is away, but he does not abandon us. He gives us his Holy Spirit to, to dwell within us as, as believers, as born-again believers. We have been given his Spirit. And it is his Holy Spirit who guides us and directs us and helps us to understand his word and helps us to live faithfully for him now. But that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy, does it? We're going to face trials and temptations and tribulations along the way. And that's what the first half of Matthew 24 reminds us of. Jesus says that things will get bad before the end. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. He talks about famines and earthquakes. I mean, turn on your news um, any, any day this past year, and you've seen things that 
resemble this, right? The war that's happening in Ukraine, devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria, which as of this morning, I see the death toll for that tragic incident up to over 28,000 individuals. So there's an area that we can be praying for and lifting up in prayer that for the rescue efforts and the ongoing humanitarian crisis that's happening in Turkey and Syria. And so we look around our world today and it certainly seems like things are escalating and escalating quickly. But we must remember that every generation faces trials and tribulations and every generation thinks that they're living at the, the pinnacle of it. I think back to our, if we know our history books, we know that World War I was once called the Great War or sometimes the War to End All Wars. People who lived through that thought that they'd never see anything like it again, yet it took less than a generation for World War II to break out. Again, every generation thinks that they're living at the end. And in a sense, they're right, of course. Every generation is one step closer to Christ's return. Every day is one step closer to his return. Jesus goes on to say that, that the end times will be filled not only with uh, wars and rumors of wars and those sorts of things, but he also says that false messiahs will come. People will fall away from the faith and lawlessness, which is another way to describe sin, will multiply. Not only is there an increase in violence and destruction on a major scale, but there's also an increase in sinful behavior and attitudes around the world. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, describes this sort of situation perfectly. He says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what they ought not, ought not to have done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, striators, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree and those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve the, of those who practice them. All right, Paul wrote those words almost 2,000 years ago, and the situation continues to be true today. Right? People continue to give themselves over to sinful practices and ideas and desires. And that will only continue to increase until Jesus returns. Because Jesus says it's after all these things that he will return and gather his people to himself. He describes this time as birth pains. And, and I will be the first one to admit that I am not qualified, right, to speak on the issue of what it's like to experience birth pains. But I do know that that pain and hard work leading in labor, leading up to the birth of a child is something, excuse me, that it is pain and hard work that leads up to something glorious and wonderful. The trials and tribulations we face are painful and real, but they are leading to something glorious and wonderful, the return of Christ and the ushering in of his kingdom. And so we must remember that we are living in the end times. The second thing we must remember is that we do not know when Jesus is going to come back. And, and the verse that Maria read for you earlier was Matthew 24, 36, where Jesus says, Today the day, but, the, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. See, our natural tendency is to try and guess when he's going to come back. We want to know because certainty is appealing. And we've seen that in the generations past, right? In ninth, there was a book, a best-selling book in the 80s called 88 Reasons That Jesus Will Return in 1988. As you can imagine, there was some error in his reasoning. I remember I was in seminary in 2011 when Harold Camping and his followers predicted that Jesus was going to return on May 21st, 2011. People sold, got rid of their life savings, sold everything, traveled around the country proclaiming the end was near. And then the sun rose on May 22nd, 2011, and people went about their business as usual. We always have a desire to know. We want to try to predict when Christ is going to return. But Jesus couldn't be any clearer than he is in this passage. We do not know, and we cannot know the day or the hour. So why is it that we crave certainty, right? Why do we want to know so badly the day and the hour that Jesus is going to return? 
Well, for one thing, if we knew the day or the hour, then we'd be ready for it. Right? If we knew exactly when Jesus was going to come back, then we could make sure that we were ready, waiting for him to return. But we could also wait until the last possible moment to give our lives over to Christ. Right? If we knew exactly when Jesus was going to return, down to the minute, then we could live our lives however we wanted to up till that point. And then at the last minute, give our lives to Christ. When I was a kid, sometimes I'd be home and my parents would give me chores to do, right, to make sure that they were done before they got home from work. And uh, there were times, I will have to admit, that I waited till the absolute last moment, right, to do what my parents wanted me to do. I'd be doing whatever I wanted, and then all of a sudden at the last moment, I think, oh no, I need to go empty the dishwasher, I need to go switch the laundry, I need to go take the clothes down from the clothesline, and I'd rush real quick to try to get it done before they got home. And sometimes I was successful, sometimes I was not. But if we, if we had an idea of when Jesus is going to come back, we would procrastinate, wouldn't we? We'd wait till the last possible moment to give our lives to Christ, and in the meantime, do whatever we wanted to do. We crave certainty, but we can't, we can't have it because we would abuse that privilege and that knowledge. But the one thing we do know for certain is that his return is imminent. And what that means is, is even though we don't know when Jesus is going to come back, we know that he is for certain. He will return. Scripture leaves no doubt about that. And so we trust that he's in control and that all things will work together toward his return. And we may think Jesus has taken his good old time coming back, that he's being slow or forgetful. But Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9 remind us that he is not forgetful or slow, he is patient. Second Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so we don't know when, but we can know for certain that he's going to return. And we can know for certain that God is in control, that he is sovereign, even during the trials and tribulations that we experience in this world. The book of Revelation, which deals mainly, obviously, with, uh, with what it will be like when Christ returns and ushers in his kingdom, it paints a clear picture that God is in total control. The judgment and tribulations that Revelation describes are all part of God's plan to move humanity toward its proper conclusion. So even if we don't have all the answers, we trust in the one who knows all things and has the power to control all things. And that gives us confidence to have patience as we wait for his return. That's what the faithful servant does in this parable. In contrast, the unfaithful servant of the parable has misunderstood these last two points I just shared with you. He did not believe his master's return was imminent, right? He says, oh, he's a long time coming. I don't have to worry about him. The unfaithful servant did not have confidence that his master was really in control. And so therefore he focused entirely on himself and his immediate pleasure. He sacrificed his obligation, his responsibilities, in order to focus on himself. Jesus warned of this sort of attitude in Matthew 16, 26. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone gain, give, excuse me, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, that's what it means to gain the whole world and sacrifice your soul, to give up your eternal joy, to give up your eternal reward, in order to gain temporary pleasure. What good is that? What good is that? So we know that we are living in the end times. We know, we know that we don't know when Jesus will return. And so therefore, we must be found faithful when he does. Who is the wise and faithful servant? He's the one who's doing his master's bidding while he's away. The servant wasn't put in charge of certain things and certain responsibilities, and he does them, right? And it's that simple. He does what his master asked him to do. 
in verses 42 and 44, Jesus says, therefore, keep watch because you don't know what day our Lord will come. To keep watch is to be on the lookout. In trial and tribulation, don't be discouraged. Instead, keep your focus on Christ. I love Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, talks about, talks about fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. I love that idea of fixing your eyes on him, keeping your focus on him where it belongs. And then in verse 44 of Matthew 24, he says, So you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour that you do not expect him. In other words, don't procrastinate. Don't put it off, because he could be here at any moment. When I was younger, I was in the Boy Scouts, and of course, you know, the being prepared doesn't mean you know exactly what's going to happen to you out there in the world, but you want to be ready so that you can respond in any circumstance. And that's what God is calling us to do, to be ready, to respond in any circumstance. And so our confidence in Christ's return gives us everything that we need to live faithful lives in the present. I've referenced this a couple times already, but I love in in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascends to heaven, right? He goes up and is gathered up in the clouds and disappears from the disciples' sight. And you know what they do? They sit there and they stare. (laughs) They just stare there. They're, they're dumbfounded. They don't know what to do. And they're, they're just staring up at heaven where Jesus had just gone. And then angels appear to them and says, Why do you stand here looking up at the sky? That same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. In other words, they're saying, Don't just sit there and stare at the sky and do nothing. Get about your master's business. Right? Go do what he told you to do. He had just told them, that they were going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. And so we don't want to sit around just waiting for Jesus to come back, doing nothing. We want to be about the master's business while he's gone. And so what is the assignment that the master has given us? What has he called us to do? Well, it's the same for all believers in all times and all places. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself and to go and make disciples. In other words, we're called to live out the great commandment and great commission. No matter what context you live in, no matter what your family looks like, no matter what job you have, that is true for all believers at all times and in all places. And in fact, in Matthew 24, Jesus says two things to to reiterate that for us or to encourage us in that. He says in verse 14 that even in the tribulation and the trials that are to come, that the gospel will be preached to all nations. And the way that the gospel is going to be shared with all people is through God's church, through his people. We are the ones that God has tasked with that responsibility. People need the confident hope that only Christ can provide. They need to be able to hold on to the one thing that isn't falling away or or falling apart. And I believe that people are more open now to the gospel, excuse me, people are more open to the gospel when they face trials and tribulations and hardships. It's not manipulative, it's not taking advantage of a situation, it's just the reality that people's hearts are softened and more receptive at times like that. And so we as God's people need to speak truth and with love and grace to those that are facing difficult times. People need hope in a hopeless world. People need God's unchanging truth in a world that constantly has shifting standards of right and wrong, and only Christ can provide those things. The other thing he says to us in verse 6 is don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. We live in an age of fear, don't we? And he says don't give in to it. Don't give in to the fear. Let your faith be bigger than your fear. So we need to stand up for what's right and good. We need to stand up for Christ even if opposition and persecution comes because we know who wins in the end. For the believer, Christ's return is victory. It's joy. It's the kingdom. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. The focus of the faithful servant is on heaven, not on earth. It's on Christ, not their circumstances. It's on the object of their faith, not the reason they may have to fear in this world. And so I encourage you today that we are living in the end times, and even though we don't know when Christ will come, he will come again. And so be people that are found faithful, going about the master's business, while he's away. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you 
for the promise and the hope that we have that you will come again. And I pray that as we, uh, as we wait patiently for you here on earth, Lord, we ask that you would empower us and equip us to be about your business, to do what you've called us to do, which includes loving you, loving our neighbor, and making disciples. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service this morning, I invite you to stand and sing with us our final song, Build My Life. Now may the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may go in peace. Amen.